You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has come out with a new model, and that model is the 110 Ultralight. At under 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. This comes in a variety of calibers. It has a gray AccuFinish stock with adjustable comb height. This is an awesome rifle, and uh, basically Savage is at it again. These guys have done amazing things in the past, and now they're doing amazing things in the future. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 70, where I talk solo archery elk hunting with Brandon McDonald. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. I'm excited the draw results got posted last week, or maybe earlier this week, I can't remember. But I did end up drawing. I did end up drawing my mule deer tag, so I'm I'm really excited about that. I I knew I would, but it was just kind of now I have the confirmation, right? So that definitely puts a little kick in my step. I really kind of turned up the the fitness, got back to the gym now that the coronavirus has kind of lessened its grip on our lives and so I'm definitely working out getting up early starting the cardio quite a bit uh I don't know I'll probably wait till like early July to get up there and start getting around but I might I might end up getting up there at least just to get a general lay of the land here in the next uh next week and and start some of that so I'm I'm pumped and then on top of that I am going to pick up some all the equipment I need to work on my own bow. So uh, getting a press, um, building my own draw board, uh, you know, especially tools, the the bow clamps, the string. You know, I'm learning how to tie D loops and you know tying your peep sights and serving all that stuff. I'm just I'm, I'm looking to 
forward to taking that next step in kind of my archery journey, I guess, to, to be able to work on my own equipment and really fine tune some things and, and paper tuning and all that stuff I haven't been able to do before. I've had to go to a shop. So, uh, definitely excited about that. So, uh, cool things coming down the pipe. I'm, I'm, uh, looking forward to getting up and hunting some mule deer this fall and, and also being able to really dial in my equipment, giving me the most confidence and, and just most satisfaction, I guess. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll, we'll see what's to come. <laughs> Hopefully I don't totally jack up my bow and, uh, and right back up at the archer shop. <laughs> so we'll see. But my guest today, uh, cool, very cool episode. Uh, my guest today is Brandon McDonald. And as I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos over the course of the last month, learning archery stuff, I came across a lot of Brandon's videos and he does a really, really good job of putting together like these very real, very authentic gear and bow review stuff i originally saw him you know doing bow reviews and and just a very cool channel he, he's he got a knack for for doing this stuff and uh so definitely definitely go give him a follow check him out on on youtube just search brandon mcdonald and uh you'll like his stuff but what we're talking about today uh is solo archery elk hunting and last year he took his first elk hunting trip in the mountains and it was solo DIY public land going in blind with everything on your back. So we, we talk about a lot of the, you know, the, the mental struggles, the, the physical struggles, um, you know, what he's changing up for this year because he's going back to the same spot. Um, you know, so it's it, it, good stories and, and learning about, you know, that, that first hunt. And I think that's very applicable, especially now when we're starting to think about elk hunting and if, if it's your first time going, or if you've always wanted to take an elk hunt or go on an elk hunt and you can't get a buddy to go, or you can't get anybody commit. I mean, it's inspirational from the standpoint of Brandon just went out and did it by himself, you know, drove out there by himself. Uh, you know, everything is done alone solo. So that's, that's motivation and shouldn't be something that holds you back. You know, you can do it and, and you learn from the struggles and, uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun talking with Brandon. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get Brandon on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, Brandon McDonald. How you doing today, Brandon? Good, Adam. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling me, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah, same. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, you're located in Tennessee, right? Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. Nice. Right now the weather's beautiful because it's it's uh, 8 a.m., but it's going to get humid and nasty today. So <laughs> that's the one thing I do not miss miss about living in Michigan is the humid, humid summers and yeah. just sweating constantly. I mean, that's could could be a lot worse. I mean, you could be in the deep south of Texas, but you know, Colorado dry air. I love it. You can always get away from the I heat, get just get in the, sh- get in the shade, get and, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I saw I saw a uh, Instagram post this morning of somebody in Montana and they had a foot of snow on you know in early June. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm good. I don't want that either. Yeah, yeah. Trade offs. Yeah, we we had snow here just a couple days ago as well. Where I'm at down in town didn't didn't get snow, but you can see up up on yeah. the hills and the the mountains. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. never know what's gonna happen. So did you grow up yeah. in Tennessee? Are you native there or? Did you move there? No, at you some know point? what? I actually, uh, I'm from uh, Lakewood, Colorado, so just out just oh, really? west of Denver. Yep, yep. So when I uh, I chased a girl out to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, when I was 17 to go to college, and uh, we broke up the first day we got here, so that was fun. <laughs> but then, then I ended up uh, I loved it out here, so I just stayed. I uh, went to college, graduated. I was a music uh, a music guy for probably my my early 20s and then shifted over into real estate and that's what I've done for the last you know 13 or 14 years very good and then yeah yeah and then in the last couple years I've I bought a 25 acre farm about eight years ago and started whitetail hunting up here and kind of digging into that a little bit more and then decided that I really wanted to make hunting more a part of my uh just more a part of my life going forward and I realized that you know archery was, was the, the, the method that I kind of wanted to do. I ended up trading a uh, fridge and a stove for a crossbow. And that was, and that was the, uh, the, the first, the first foray into, into some, some, some sort of a weapon with a string on it, which was obviously kind of trade. And then, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it got me into the sport, which, which now, I mean, every day, man, I wake up in the morning and like, I literally went to the back of my car, grabbed my bow out this morning. After we hang up, I'm going to go shoot. Like I just, every single day I get excited about getting out here and shooting the bow. So it's just gotten in my blood. I decided I wanted to make it part of my everyday life. And, uh, I realized that there wasn't that many people that were near me here that I had, that I had, you know, friends that, that were, were going to be as into it as I was. So that was one of the reasons that I started the YouTube channel, um, was to kind of be able to dig in and start networking and, and meeting other people. And then, and then to kind of document the journey of, learning how to hunt and then learning how to film yourself hunting and then, you know, throwing in some gear reviews and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and obviously I assume you found, you found me because of the bow reviews that I did. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, was watching YouTube and, uh, I, I've, I've been really moving down this path of getting all my own equipment to work on my bow. And, and, uh, so I'm getting actually going today, actually get a press, get, all the stuff I need to actually do do my own work and and as I'm watching YouTube I saw I saw your one video pop up um you know like I bought five bows and you know it was basically like a bow review but I was like man what kind of kind of clickbaity stuff is this like who, who goes out and buys five <laughs> bows I mean so I had to watch it and I was I was like whoa this guy actually you know knows his shit and very well produced videos and then I kept watching more and I watched more of your videos and I was like man I gotta get a hold of this guy he, he just seems like a, a good guy to talk to and I saw that you've done some elk hunting you know last year and and uh like to talk to you about that too but no I, I love all your stuff man I, I really uh dig in the channel thanks I really appreciate it, it it's been it's it's been really fun to 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 dig in and to, to learn because obviously learning how to self-film the hunts I realized how much information I would need to get about camera, you know, using cameras and using the gears, you know, using the gear tripods and audio and lighting and 
just all those kinds of things. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's like I picked up two, two major hobbies at one time, <laughs> you know, when I really decided to kick this into high gear. So it's been a, yeah, it's been fun. I'm still learning a lot. And every video I put out, there's, there's a hundred things that I wish I would have done differently about them, but I'm just like, no, nope, that's part of the journey, man. I'm just going to put them out here and I'm just going to put them out here and keep learning and keep moving on. So, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. And, and, and definitely you can see your passion and just like your really commitment to archery and, and to hunting. I feel like there's some people that do YouTube channels or whatever, and they're just not genuine, you know, they're just pretty much doing it for, for clicks or likes or, you know, uh, views. Sure. It, 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 yours are, yours are definitely a different breed, man. And, and, uh, like I said, keep up the good work and really like what you're doing. So. Awesome. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And it, I, I think archery just it, from a, like from a mental health standpoint has done so much for me, just providing me with a, uh, it's almost meditative, you know, when I get out here every single day and I shoot, even if it's just for 15 or 20 minutes, it's like this reset that can happen every day. And I want, I want other people to be able to experience that. Like I, I, I said in the last video that I did that, that I'm, I'm almost like an evangelical preacher, you know, wanting to spread <laughs> the good news of, of archery. And, and I, and I, but I truly feel it. Like it's a, it's a really special discipline that, that you can never master, but that the journey is so enjoyable. It really you is. Know? So, yep. Yeah. I I've also, got, Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I I always find it interesting. There's just like certain people, though, that just take it to a whole nother level, whether it's hunting or archery. I just, I don't know. I feel like it's something, whether you find it later in life or whether you find it early, there's just some people that it's just naturally in their blood. They may not know it at a certain point, yeah. but I don't know. I have to think like myself, maybe back to my ancestry, maybe my ancestors were more of a hunting crowd or I, I don't know I just kind of think about it that yeah. way and I, I just I just know you know hunting and archery is also a, a big passion and and a lot of people hunt but there's also people on kind of a different commitment level or they think about it more and and just kind of are in that uh, zone a little more yeah. often so it's interesting yeah absolutely very cool so did you grow up hunting so I grew up, my dad, uh, my, my, my parents, they lived down, my dad was in Arkansas and my mom was in Texas. That was there where our extended family were. So we would go down every, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then in the summer. And when we would go down there, we would, uh, in Arkansas, we would go hunt snakes and we'd go shoot birds, you know? So we were doing kind of primarily like pistol shooting at snakes. There was just tons of farmland and bayous everywhere, so we were down there trying to get rid of some of the the poisonous snakes that were around. Take that for what it will, for what you will. Maybe I wouldn't do that these days. I don't know. But then when we were down in Texas, uh, we would go whitetail hunt. You know, I remember being in the back of a, of a pickup truck at 4 a.m. when I was you know six or seven years old, just being like, "What are we doing? Why? <laughs> why am I up why so early? Why are we up this early? <laughs> exactly." And then. And then the crack of the rifle, you know, right as uh, right as <laughs> right as legal shooting light came, I'm being scared out of my mind. But but that so that that progression, I think, growing up. But but honestly, like my dad's an accountant, and so he he's not like a super huge hunter. It wasn't like I had, um, it it was it was in the family and it was known. But I remember growing up and just being in the backyard, 
throwing knives into a tree repeatedly and shooting a BB <laughs> gun. And I've always liked the art, the, the, I've always liked the action of, uh, some sending some sort of projectile away from myself and, and the satisfaction of watching it hit. So I, I have to imagine just like you were talking about that there's something deeper inside of me that something, you know, that's, that's a genetic or cellular almost yeah. that, that finds a satisfaction that, that, that pulls me out here every day. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I think I was a similar scenario. Like I had my dad hunted, but wasn't, I mean, he just shot a doe on the, on, out of the, you know, yard for meat, you know, like that's pretty much right. like the extent yep. of, I mean, he went with me and took me hunting and, uh, but not, you know, to the same degree level of, of craziness that I've gotten into. But, uh, yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's cool. It's, uh, it's interesting to hear kind of a backstory and, and, how you got into it. And then you got into yeah, for sure. whitetail hunting, you know, obviously you bought the property, started doing whitetail hunting. That's when you got into archery and, and kind of grown it from there. Yep. Yep. So my first deer here at the property, I walked outside one morning in my underwear and there was a doe standing <laughs> in the field. And I was like, you know, it's gun season. I can, I can shoot that doe. So I ran back in, put one round in my seven millimeter mag and then <laughs> shot the doe. And, and was like, okay, so obviously not hunting like that. That's, that's obviously not hunting, but, but got her, got her processed and then ate deer. And then, and then that was, I mean, that was literally, that was very first season. And then the next season, you know, crossbow for that year. And then I went and bought a compound and, and it's just, yeah, kind of, kind of gone from there. And then obviously now I'm, uh, not opposed to rifle hunting, but I'm pretty much exclusively, uh, exclusively going to bow hunt for, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and you did some, you've done some other trips. I, I watched one of your YouTube videos. I think you went down to Texas. You did some stuff down there and, and have you yeah, hunted so other recently, stuff besides elk uh, and deer? Have you, have you done some other trips? Yeah. So recently went down to Texas, um, kind of where that, where the family that I was talking about, where my mom uh, lives out in West Texas, went out there and did a hog hunt on the family ranch out there nothing formal and just, you know, me and a buddy kind of going out there, just kind of messing around. And then I did a high fence hunt for black buck, which are, you know, kind of an Indian African, uh, they're, they're in the antelope family, they kind of the curly horns that go up. They're kind of small, maybe 70 to hundred pounds. Yeah. But it, it was interesting that those little dudes, man, they're tough on that, on that farm. We were kind of doing the spot and stock stuff. And we just, I, the only shot I took, uh, was a hundred yards off. So it, it there, it was a, it, yeah, you know, saw that. yeah, they're a tough little animal. I ended up not, I ended up on a high fence farm, not, not harvesting. So it was kind of interesting. I've got, <laughs> I've got plans to go back at some point, probably next year, but yeah, I did that. And then, uh, and then I did two, two elk hunts this last year where we did lots of armed hiking in uh, <laughs> Utah and then Colorado. Yeah, elk hunting's a different different world for sure, and and that's yeah, you know, really kind of what I wanted to talk to you a lot about on today is just I've sure. had, a lot of people. I, I love talking to people that whether it's somewhere in their first hunt and kind of preparing, and then you know in that in the, so like this is the perfect timing. You've done your first kind of really year of elk hunting in a couple different states, bow hunting, and then now you're coming back in a, a second year you know, the year after and, you know, really want to talk about a lot of the, the change, you know, some of the changes you made, the mistakes that were made, what you learned and, you know, kind of 
see it full circle, you know? So it's kind yeah, of looking absolutely. forward to talking about that. So you did two yeah, Elcons sure. last year. One, one, their first one was in Utah, right? Yeah. So I was solo. Uh, I did, I did a solo hunt in Utah and uh, that was, that was, I, I think that's the one we can primarily, I, I think that one's the one that I have the most learning experience from. Yeah. 100%. Um, Colorado was with a, was with a group of guys that, uh, that had been hunting this, this little area for a while. So they knew a lot of the terrain. One of the guys lives really close and had, you know, they'd gone, they'd gone in and, and done a lot of scouting beforehand. We, we got skunked out of that area, but I think the, I think from the, from a learning aspect, especially just because being by yourself out, out in the woods um, and the, the, I don't, there were just, there were things that I, that, that there was no way I could have considered them before I was actually out there and then learning how to, and then learning how to deal with, with them while I was out in Utah by myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you want me to, do you want me to just start from the beginning and you can tell me all the things that I did wrong? Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing, nothing wrong. Only, uh, only learning experiences for sure. But, uh, yeah. So like, so what, I guess what made you decide to do your first elk hunt solo, you know, archery by yourself? I mean, is that something that you've so, been thinking about for the last couple of years or is it something you're just like, ah, I'm just going to go for it or. No, it, I mean, it was, it was more thought out than, um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was thought out. It was, um, I, I realized that in my life, I, uh, I've truthfully not had that many challenges in my life to be able to, um, especially physically, like, I'm not, I'm not in, in, in outstanding, amazing shape, but just because I'm six, three, 210 pounds, I've always been able to kind of physically get stuff done and do what I needed to do. And I just realized that I'd never really pushed myself. Um, and especially as an adult, you know, maybe in high school, you're pushing yourself for a sport, especially again, physically. But I just realized that like, I needed, I needed a challenge to focus on that that was going to pull me through an entire year of like training and practicing and accumulating the correct gear and research. I, I needed that goal, an, a, a culmination of, 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 you know, kind of, again, the, the summit of a journey. I needed that so that I could, so that I could really focus in and dig in. And, uh, and that was, that was why I decided to go, to go Utah by myself. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a hundred percent in with hunting, especially Western hunting. I mean, it really is a culmination of physical and mental, uh, you know, combined into one and, and they're really gonna, you're, you're going to get tested on both fronts, <laughs> especially yeah. solo. And I, and, and I, and I knew that I was going to, but I didn't realize the extent of, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of talk about some of the, the, I basically tortured myself, it, like literally, <laughs> like by the book, tortured myself. I, I went early, I, I went early season. So like I wanted to be there opening day, which in Utah, I think last year was like August 15th. So mid August and from, from Tennessee, it was a 30 hour drive. And because I was so excited, I drove 20 hours straight the first day and then slept in a hotel. Uh, and then got up four or five hours later and then drove the rest of the way. So I've, I've, I'm, I'm already running on a little bit of sleep, you know, from, from that, that, that first night of just, of just being so jazzed and driving in. Yeah. And then I get to the, uh, I get to the site 
and I'm sleeping around. I, I, the way I picked this site was I wanted something that I felt like was as, as isolated from major roadways as I could possibly find. So I, I had no idea if there were actually elk in the area because I didn't go scout. What I was looking for was extremely restricted access to people. Got it. Um, and and for, for better, for worse, that's what I decided to do. And, 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 uh, and it worked out because I did find elk and I found one other hunter while I was there. So from, from that aspect of it, it was, it was good. And I'm going to go back this year. I may, I'm going to go back this year. I wish I could go scout one more time to actually go see a few, a few other areas, but, but it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it had what I, it had what I wanted. Got it. Got so it. Basically, basically I, um, I start out, uh, probably 9am hiking up and I, I, my pack is, this is my second huge mistake. I brought about 25 <laughs> pounds worth of camera gear. Cause I was, I, I didn't know how I wanted to film everything. If I wanted to do like documentary style where I had a camera going most of the time in case something happened that went bad. Like, you know, if, if there's a, if there's any point where I tip the camp stove over and burn myself or if I, you know, whatever, I just wanted those things on film. So I've got four cameras and I've got seven days worth of batteries for all the cameras. And then I've got backup power cells for all the, uh, for all the cameras batteries in my bag. Um, <laughs> that makes I've for a heavy the, pack. I've got all, yeah, it was real stupid. So, <laughs> so the initial, the initial is sent up and then this was the sacrifice. I, on, on the, uh, on the Onyx map, there were two creeks that I was going to cross on the way up. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to fill my, one Nalgene bottle and then I'm going to hit those creeks and then I'll refill on my way up. So my plan was drain that first Nalgene bottle by the time I hit that first creek, which was literally, they were almost broken perfectly up into thirds. So I'm about to that creek, Nalgene bottle's empty, the creek is dry. Oh no. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, crap. And it's mid August. So obviously it's hot out and I'm, and I'm at, uh, you know, the, the place started out, I think it was 8,500 feet to start up to 11,000 feet at the peak. And, uh, so, um, you know, that's, there's a little bit of like, oh man, that's not great. And then I get to the second Creek and it's still dry. So then I get all the way up to the top and I'm, and I'm finding these bodies of water that I could see on the map and they're marshes essentially. So it was like, take your boots off, walk in a hundred yards to where you can actually see a pond, but it's full of algae. So, which (laughs) You know, you can drink it, but it's disgusting. So I hike, I, I just keep going, trying to push toward the source because those are obviously being fed from somewhere. But after hiking for about five hours um, without water, I was just like, okay, I gotta, I, I'm just going to do this. So I, I take, you know, take the pants and the boots off, go hike out there, get as much of it, you know, as I can that's clean, walk back in. And then I realized that with all the batteries and everything that I have brought, that I have forgotten batteries for my Scarapen. Like a total <laughs> moron noob. That sucks. <laughs> like, dude, that was the worst feeling. I, I, I cannot, I cannot, like the feeling of, of just incompetence that I had at that moment. Now, luckily, I brought a, one of the Sawyer, uh, the Sawyer pens, the Sawyer straws as a backup. Yeah. And, uh, and, but I just decided I'm going to boil the water in my jet boil, let it cool down and then drink it out of the pen. But I had basically dehydrated myself 
so badly uh, on that on that trip up that that combined with then the lack of sleep that I would have for the next three nights in a row, um, the net effect was literally like, you know, I was literally torturing myself. Um, you know, I don't want to say that I, that I was going through like, you know, buds training, but that's it, in essence was the, was the same kind of thing. And because I'm a soft, a soft human, I wasn't used to any of this. Um, so I ended up, the net effect was I lost 16 pounds on the trip and, and didn't, and basically wasn't able to rehydrate fully until I got, you know, until I got all the way back, drove to Walmart, bought four things of Pedialyte and just binged <laughs> on Pedialyte. <laughs> Man, that's a, that's a way to start the trip. I mean, like you said, I mean, you, you drive, you drive all that way by yourself, um, low sleep, uh, you know, you're excited you, you get to camp or your it sounds like your first base camp that night and it's at a high elevation then you hike up the next day you're out of water uh physically exhausted i mean you've got a number of strikes against you you know or it's not strikes but like yeah, i mean no, the, the cards are, the cards sure are stacked strikes. you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yep. it makes it yeah, no, it makes was, it tough was, to taking, get started yeah i was ma- i was making a hard thing harder like I was making a hard thing harder on myself by just being a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's all part of the all part of the experience, and uh, for so, sure. So you, yeah, I've 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 had to drink out of standing water before as well, and it just tastes like shit, you know. To be honest, like yep. if I could just. I always look for a standing creek or not a standing, uh, a running creek, uh, if possible, just because man, that it almost tastes like when I did it the one time, it just tastes like sulfur and just, I mean, you know, it's, if you filter it or boil it or whatever, you know, you're not going to get sick, but man, just something about that just doesn't feel hydrating at all. <laughs> well, it was also the time. So you think about like, I've got, you know, a small single person jet boil that's heating the water up to a couple hundred degrees. And then it's got to cool down enough for me to actually drink it. So I'm not waiting for it to get nice and, you know, 80 <laughs> degree ambient temperature cool. I'm basically drinking algae tea, you know, <laughs> like algae hot tea through the Sawyer pen. And, and uh, so luckily on day three, I was able to hike far enough up that I found the source. And it was literally a creek that was feeding these ponds was about one foot wide. And it cut <laughs> through a meadow and the water was freezing cold i was able to go all the way up and kind of find out where it was coming out of the side of the mountain and it was that feeling was the best feeling the worst feeling no batteries for the stair but the best feeling <laughs> was just being like cold water that i could literally just uh that i knew i could you know that i knew i could just drink it if i wanted to i was still drinking through the straw but just that cold water that didn't taste like algae was so great after a couple of days yeah yeah 100 so let's so let's move into the the second thing that i didn't consider and that i think if like if there are people that are listening to this uh and they're thinking i want to do backcountry solo so the i i called it night brain night brain night brain basically during the day i was good to go but as soon as the sun went down it was like this demon on my shoulder would come out and be like you know something's going to eat you, right? <laughs> you know that you're going to have to get up in the middle of the night and you're going to go break your leg on a rock and you're going to have to <laughs> lay there all night. 
so because I was so dehydrated and because of the lack of sleep, the mental control that I had that I normally have to be able to calm myself down was gone. It was out the window. And every time I would pull my sleeping bag up around my neck, it was like my blood was so thick pumping through my arteries in my neck that I could, that I could hear it shuffling the, uh, the material of the sleeping bag, which oh, if man. you've ever, if you've ever pumped <laughs> in a sleeping bag, you can, you can do that. If you pull it up to your neck and set it just right, you can get it to where it actually will, will move the material and kind of give you a little, sh- sh- but as you fall asleep, what I would do because I was freaking myself out is I would wake up. Like I would just be like, huh, what was that? <laughs> um, I had, uh, there were cows that were free ranging up there and there was one night where they were battling it out with coyotes. <laughs> and so they were, they were, they were, you know, coyotes howling all night and the cows, you know, braying, mooing back. And then, uh, and then one night I had a, a adolescent black bear come in and I'd basically just been eating laurel, uh, blueberry laurel bars. And apparently he liked that, so he went over and knocked some rocks over where I had taken a dump and decided to mess with my poo. Um, uh, so I love I could it. hear, you know, clattering in the distance. It was just that, just every night. But but knowing that I'm going to be dealing with that this next time around, I'm going to be bringing something that will help me sleep. I'm going to be bringing earplugs. I'm obviously going to be bringing up, you know, making sure that I'm overwatered, especially on the front end, rested and hydrated the start so that even if I do end up, you know, wrecking myself, I'm not wrecked as I show up to start hunting. Yeah. So those, those were the two, the two biggest takeaways. And by the, by the time I found elk, I was about six and a half miles back, um, had a shot on, on two cows that I could have taken, but I was just so, I was so wiped that I was like, I'm not, I can't, I'm not doing it. Like I, I'm, I was when it was so hot during the day and I don't feel like I'd done quite as much research, research on uh, hot weather meat care as I needed to have done um, that, that I just didn't, I didn't take them. And I came away with, uh, you know, came away with nothing from Utah. Hey, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's respectable, especially when you get your solo and you're tired and you're that far in. I mean, that's, you know, you, it's always an ethical decision you know, to make when, Hey, I can shoot this thing, but I mean, getting this off the mountain in time before it spoils is a, is a whole different set of scenarios. And it sounds like you made the right, right call for sure. For, for, from an ethical standpoint. Yeah. Well, and the guys in Colorado that I knew I had that trip coming up in a couple of weeks, they had taken two bulls last year and they were real, you know, they were really confident that, that this area, you know, had produced and was going to produce again. And then we got there and nothing, you know, we saw one cow the entire time we were there. So I, I, I think that I, you know what I say that, I don't know that it would have been any, any different. I think it, I think I may have done more damage to myself than I, than would have been worth it trying to get, trying to get something out there with, with just the shape that I was in, even just the physical shape that I was in. You know, I, I've, I, I prepped by doing a lot of rucking, a lot of, you know, I started with, you know, 10 pounds in a, in a janky little, you know, Jan sport backpack. And then I upgraded and I got a nicer bag and I went to 25 pounds and then I went to 35 pounds and then I went to 50 pounds. And then by the time uh, the season rolled around, I was 50, 60 pounds, you know, uh, a few times a week out here going, you know, between four and six miles on our, on our, uh, on our, 
some of our little parks that are around here, you know, something with, with some decent change in elevation. But I realized that that wasn't remotely the same as putting a 75 or 85 pound pack on and then being at 8,500 to 11,000 feet. Um, oh yeah. It was just a total, it was a totally different ball game, even just obviously hiking into base camp, you know, and, and that was one of the reasons that I thought the heavy pack was going to be okay was uh, it's just one, it's just a half day. That's all I'm doing. Just a half day, get to base camp. You can drop everything. But again, I just, I just, I, I just wrecked myself because I wasn't in the shape that I needed to be in to pull, you know, to pull that kind of maneuver off. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I, and it's, it's always tough to, to prepare for that, you know, like you, you, especially your first time. I mean, I, I live in Colorado, so I'm used to the elevation, you know, somewhat. I'm at like 6,000 feet where I'm at. And then, you know, I usually go up to 10, 11, somewhere in there in my hunting, but it's just tough to prepare for. And, and, and then there's other challenges. Like, honestly, the biggest thing for me when I, I did my first solo kind of wilderness hunt, um, hiking in by myself that like you talked about, it was more the mental, mental side of things. Like, can I do this? And, you know, I, my first time going out, I was like really late leaving in the afternoon. I I didn't get out there like the day before. And I was, I was really late and I was, I didn't know exactly where I was going to end up or where I was going to go. And so I was fighting daylight to try to find a camp spot. And I ended up you know, sleeping on the side of a hill, which that was a horrible idea because you can't sleep very well on an angle. (laughs) Uh, You know, and then I really didn't get much sleep that night and I was tired and exhausted from the, you know, three mile hike in or whatever with more gear than I needed. It's just, it's tough to prepare for, but if, if you can, uh, you know, get out and do some overnights by yourself and anybody can do this. I mean, they can go you know, grab a pack and all your gear and go, just go do an overnighter by yourself on public land or, you know, hike in somewhere. And, and, and as you do that more, that's going to help you prepare mentally, because I think that's just as much as the physical side of things when it comes to a backcountry hunt. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that one. I mean, I, and I didn't realize how much of an adversary that was going to be like for me, I I've, I'm not a, I don't have anxiety. Um, I don't have depression. I don't like, I'm a, I'm a positive, optimistic person. And, and, but for me to feel the effects of, of that negativity that was just in my head was really, really freaked. I mean, it freaked me out. I literally, there was, uh, after four days, I hiked back out to go to the truck, uh, or to go to the car. And then I went back into town, um, to go get batteries for the pen. Cause just knowing that like, that was going to make me feel better. And I remember calling Jocelyn, my wife, and just literally crying on the phone. And I know that whatever, there's a bunch of guys that are like, what? But <laughs> I, I, I had just, I'd worn myself down so much that as soon as I started, as soon as I heard her voice, it was just like something just kind of cracked. And I just remember crying on the phone and she was like, what is wrong? Like what happened? And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. I feel fine. I'm excited to get back in here and hunt, but I'm just happy to hear your voice. It was really weird, man. It was, it was really weird, just totally (laughs) unexpected, something that I don't know how I could have prepared for it other than just going, like other than just going and trying not to die on the first trip and then knowing a a whole lot more about myself for the next time I get out there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So like knowing, knowing what your hiking was, uh, last year without water, maybe 
maybe, you know, a little too much gear or whatever, but like, what are you, what are you going to change differently? I, I know you said you're going to, do you think those creeks are seasonal? Will you pr- prepare more and just bring more water initially in? So then you can hit that, that Creek or what are some of the changes yeah. you're going to make for a gear setup, I guess. Yeah. So, so I, changing the way I'm going to film is going to, Oh yeah. I also brought a drone, which was real dumb and two <laughs> drone batteries. So like I had all the things. And, and the funny thing is I know the reason that I brought the drone was not because I wanted to drone up, up on the Hill. Cause you can't do that on, on public land. You've got to do that on private, which is where, which is where if you ever see drone footage in my videos, it may look like I'm on public, but it's always on private. Um, got it. But I didn't want to leave it in the car cause I didn't want it to get broken into, you know, <laughs> I was worried about it getting stolen. So I was like, Oh yeah, I'll just throw this thing that probably weighs two pounds in my bag, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, so, so here will be some of the changes going forward for this year. And I, and I want your opinion on some other, uh, other things that I could, you know, could possibly, uh, could possibly change. I lightened, um, oh, let, let's talk about the, the camera stuff first. Um, it's going to be my cell phone, one camera and two lenses, and that's it. Like, and there'll probably be two batteries and I'm going to be really selective with the shots that I make Yeah. because I've had this year of filming to know what certain, there's certain things that look good and there's certain things that look bad. And I still shoot plenty of stuff that looks bad, but I have a better eye for being able to say like, no one wants to stare at my butt walking away from the camera for 30 <laughs> minutes. So stop doing those shots. Um, you know, I, so I think I have a better idea. And rather than trying to shoot something documentary style, I can shoot it in a way that I can bring less gear. So I think that's number one. Number two is I've upgraded gear throughout the year to, to, to lighten stuff up. Um, but then also just knowing like clothing wise, I was so worried about leaving stuff in the forerunner when I, when I, when I left it at, at the base camp because I was so worried about it getting broken into uh, and, and having it disappear. And I'm just going to have to either get a, you know, either get a box for it or something like that, or just go park it over by the, there was like a camp mom that kind of lived on the site, just go park it over by her and it probably would be fine. Yeah. But I can have more resources for myself. Like I, I brought up a bow repair kit. I brought up stuff that I should have left in the forerunner yeah. that I could have made it down and then gone back up you know, had I really needed it. But I mean, I, I guarantee you, I bought, I brought, I probably had pounds and pounds of gear that was backup gear, you know, yeah. that, that just in case. And I, and, and I'm going to just leave that stuff in the forerunner so that it's accessible, but that it'll take some work to get to. Yeah. Yeah. It's always um, there. It's a, it's a lifeline if you, if you absolutely need it. Um, yeah, I, I was the same way bringing, you know, insanely amounts of pair, like, you know, big, things a paracord you know because i need that yeah. in case i need to you know make a, a splint for my leg or <laughs> or tie yeah. up you know whatever uh gear in the tree yep. or hang out i mean just like all this stuff i you know i don't even bring rain gear with me anymore that stays i mean that stays in the truck i mean i if i need it uh or what i've found at least in colorado is is if it's gonna rain usually it's not gonna be like an all-day soaker it might be an hour might be a half hour, might be a couple hours, but I can wait that out and, uh, you know, I don't necessarily need it. So yeah, trying to trim that stuff down and have it in case you need it, um, and make a judgment call maybe based on the weather on some of the things, but, uh, 
yeah, yeah. I think you're, I think you're onto something. So there. are you just throwing up a tarp like for those afternoon rains? Because that was one of the things that I got really lucky. There was zero rain the entire time I was there. Um, I think that would have been another another thing that would have added to the misery. But there was yeah, it was just it was beautiful the entire time I was there. Yeah, so I I don't if do you're a tarp. It out, what are you doing? I don't do a tarp. Okay. I I just uh, I my outer shell is water resistant enough to you know, repel water for probably at least a couple hours or, or, you know, an hour or so. But if it's like really raining, I'm, I'm just waiting it out underneath the tree. I mean, if you, if you get underneath a pretty good, you know, spruce tree, that's, that's got yeah. some good limbs on it. I mean, you'd be surprised how dry you'll stay for, for an hour or two. Um, you know, so if, if it's a, if it's an all day soaker, sometimes I'll just might head back to camp for the day, but kind of just depends. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, and that's a good point too, I guess. And and that was, I think, another mistake that I had made was I looked at the weather. Uh, I looked at the weather, but I was looking at the weather on kind of some of the towns that were surrounding it that were at a a, a, a much lower elevation. So it was much colder when I got up to you know ten five eleven. It was much colder up there, and I had brought the sleeping bag that I brought was one of the you know was a lighter weight one. And I would, I'll definitely bring my 15 degree bag, even in August. Like I would rather, I would rather sleep a little hot than sleep a little cold. So yeah. that's another, another change that I made. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's uh that's yeah. a big thing too, is just being, if you can get your base camp comfortable, uh, did you do a tent or was it, did you just do a tarp or yeah. what? Okay. I did, cool. I did a tent. Yeah, so I had a REI, REI Camp Dome tent. It's it's kind of more like probably just a backpack or, you know, go out and, and Yeah. Uh and it was fine. Um and, but I bought a Big Agnes uh copper spur for this year, which is a two man and it's got the vestibules on the side so that I can kind of stack the gear and I think that'll be a I mean the the Camp Dome was fine. Like there was no issues with that, but I think that this one just kind of adds to uh, things that I don't have to bring because I brought it. I brought a tarp last time, not like a full, you know, like a tarp that you cover a boat in your driveway with, like a, you know, like a lighter weight. Yeah. And I and I spread that out to cover a lot of the camera gear. Um, but with the vestibules on the copper spur, I feel like I can leave a lot of that stuff under there this year. And then inside the tent, since it's a two man, um, you know, I'll I'll still have room. Yeah, yeah, I like that. You know what's a a, a new gear item that I'm going to be, it's not really gear, I guess, but, um, a new item I'll be adding into my pack this year are, uh, two like contractor bags. And the reason okay, being yeah. like they're heavy duty enough that you can use them as lightweight waiters, you know, to get across to like a river. Um, yeah. but then you could also multi-purpose them for like to lay down your meat on, you know, when you're quartering, quartering uh you know an animal or you know just having a clean yep. spot to put stuff uh you can sit on it if the ground's wet um you know like multi-purpose stuff that's light i mean you can use it obviously to haul stuff or whatever too but um i'm gonna be adding definitely just two two of those to my uh mule deer hunt this year just depending on where i go but um i think that's gonna be a pretty versatile uh you know, thing just to have. Yeah, for sure. sure. And they're easy to pack and they're super lightweight. So that yeah. makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do you carry a saw when you go in? I don't. No. I, uh, okay. if, if, if I'm whitetail hunting, I do for the tree stands and whatnot. But, uh, no, for a backcountry hunt, I don't. You know, I can usually, 
if I need to saw something, it's usually I can break it, you know, a, a stick or whatever, but I haven't really found a need for it. Yeah. I was just thinking about stuff that, you know, the saw never came out and it's, you know, it's not super lightweight. And, and I was just like, this is kind of stupid. I mean, we used it when we were in Colorado, but that was a different scenario with a bunch of guys sharing, you know, sharing certain gear. So it was, it was easier to take, you know, it was easier to have more of a variety of things. The more I listen to uh, other podcasts with people that are, that are much more elite at this, you know, you listen to Remy Warren or you listen to Aaron Snyder, you know, with Kafaro cast, those guys, they bring such little gear up. It blows my mind. Like they just (laughs) don't want the weight. And I'm like, but what if you, what if you almost die? They're like, no, I'll figure it out. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it it just blows my mind. The, 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 the amount of gear that these guys, that these guys don't bring. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, gear, you know, it's a catch 22. It can, it can be a good thing, but it can also bog you down. And honestly, I think it changed like when you just go with less, it also changes like your mental state too, from the standpoint of like, I'm just more efficient. You know, I've got, I've got less stuff, so I feel better. I can move around better. I, I don't have all this stuff to worry about or to, 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 you know, to think about. And honestly, I, last year I did this uh, a few times or no, the year prior, I did this a few times, just going in with like literally, literally nothing. Like I will just leave with my bow and maybe a, a, a bottle of water in, in, you know, my cargo pocket or something, but just, and this is like day hike, you know, day hunt stuff, but, sure. um, you know, just, just that feeling like it's, it's a totally different, uh, mental side of things. You just feel free from, from that gear yeah. or from that, that pack on your back. You just move better. I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk, let's talk about packs real quick, because this is another, this is another thing that I've got a kind of a mid-sized Kuyu, um, Kuyu bag. Yeah. And what I hated was it's, it's almost on the small side for going in for five to seven days. But then when you use it for like a, a day pack, it just feels so big. Even if you strap it all down, it's just, it feels so big and clunky to have like a frame pack every single, you know, on it, on me every single second when I was going out. So yeah. I've been trying to think of different options. What, what's your, what's your pack set up like? when you go out for, uh, you know, a hunt that's kind of similar to what I'm doing another, you know, probably another five to seven days. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have the mystery ranch. Um, I have one, so that pack is like modular. So you can put different like pack sizes, like it's just one universal frame and you can switch out. I have two different sizes, one that's like more of a smaller day hunt thing. And then one that's a a bigger, you know, for putting more stuff for like a, a week hunt, like what you're doing. Um, yeah. to be honest though, like even if I was doing a, a week hunt now, I would still use the smaller pack because of the way it's designed, it's got like an overloading shelf. Like you can stuff your sleeping bag, all your clothes, you know, everything kind of cinched in between the bag and the frame, you know, like your bigger yeah. items. And then it's the, the, the bag itself is still big enough to put all your food and, and smaller items and whatever you need. So like, honestly, I would still be using that um and it's small enough you can day hunt with but in your scenario i mean if you're just once you're at camp and and you're hunting honestly i i might even think about ditching the backpack i mean i know it sounds kind of stupid but like you can always get back you know get your animal corded up 
get it get it set you know somewhere in the shade or you know get it up on some some sticks make a little thing and then come back and get your pack and then start the pack out you know but if you can at least have your knife and your essentials you might want to look at doing that yeah so that's so that's interesting so you would go out during the day you would bring your bow your range finder you'd have your like bino harness on and then you would probably have your knife but you're not going to bring your game bags um or are you bringing would you would you pack the game bags out there too it just depends on how far i'd i'd go in you know i mean you could be in a spot at your camp and i mean you might be able to get into elk within a half mile quarter mile a mile i don't know but uh yeah yeah that's that was kind of the plan was where I started finding them. I, I, I think I've got a good spot to camp. And then, I mean, assuming that they're going to be kind of in a similar, you know, in a similar area, I think I would be between one and two miles from, uh, you know, from, from where they are. Okay. That's, yeah. that's an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Is, is to just go super, super, super ninja. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's probably not something you want to do every day, but like, as you get later in the week, you're just like, I'm just going to go for it. And, and, uh, you know, it, 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 cha- it does change things, honestly. Like if you, if you just kind of yeah. just get down to the basics and it's like, this is what I need and, and go after it, it, it will change your, your mental state for sure. Um, okay. so, but, uh, yeah, are you just trying to like kind of slim it down a little bit and change yeah, it I up mean, a little bit? I just bit? like the idea of, um, I, I like the idea of having a, you know, a big pack to get into base camp and then, you know, a big heavy frame pack to be able to get an animal out, but that's comfortable where I can, where I can put a hundred pounds of meat on it. And obviously a hundred pounds is going to be, you know, rough, but I feel like a hundred with this bag that I have, cause I've, I've done a hundred in it and it sucks. It's oh, just yeah. like the straps are just a little bit too thin. The waistband's a little bit too thin. The lumbar supports a little bit too small. Like it's just not, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a good bag and I'm glad I have it especially for for what i do here for training but i don't know they're also i I love gear so it may just be me thinking oh i I just need another piece of gear (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah you you can do some backpack reviews yeah yeah for sure yeah no i know i i I did a review on the icon pro and 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 it was one of my earliest reviews and uh learned a bunch of lessons on you know on that that you know i was like hey i think this is the best bag that i've found but what I realized was I haven't tested all the bags. I haven't tried all the bags. So I'm not going to say something is the best anymore unless I've actually tried every single one of them and determined a hundred percent. This is the best. Yeah. You know, yeah. So like that's, that's one of those things that's learning on the journey of, uh, you know, of, of, of posting stuff that's in the public that people are going to be like, dude, I thought you said this was the best bag. Like, <laughs> yeah, I lied to you. I lied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, it's kind of tough. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. You know, to 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 learn everything and try everything and 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 do all that. But I think at the end of the day, it's really just, um, it's not always necessarily the gear. It's just what you bring and what you put in it. You know, too. I mean, like I said, if you if you're bringing all of your knickknacks and everything on just your day hunts, I mean you know, that's probably excessive. If you just strip it down to, you know, maybe some food, your water filter and, you know, uh, maybe, a, maybe a, a couple game bags or whatever. I mean, just, just something that's pretty lightweight and, and the necessities and leave all the extras 
back in the truck or back at base camp. I think that's the the difference for sure. Yeah. So are you carrying a sidearm or bear mace in in Colorado when you go out? I do. I I carry. Uh, I probably should. I mean, I'm not really worried about it necessarily, but I I just carry my uh, yeah 40 cal on my hip, and okay. uh, and not necessarily that I'm 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 worried about anything. If I was hunting in grizzly country, I might step up the caliber a little bit or at least have some bear spray. But um, sure. Colorado, there's really not a whole lot to worry about. But I like it just from the standpoint of. It gives me some comfort when I sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I felt that way too. So that was, a, but you know, that's another thing that that's that's weight. You know, yeah, a, a, yeah. you know, handguns a couple of pounds. So yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I, I do think I like that for the comfort, and then for me, just the drive out there. You know, interactions with humans. I'm probably more at risk than I am of getting, <laughs> you know, mauled by a cat or something yeah exactly yeah my first my first hunt i went in and uh it was a piece of public land but this outfitter kind of like you know wanted to control it and and uh he basically when i got there this was my going into my first diy hunt he was like if you don't if you don't leave if you don't get out of here um you know i'm gonna lock i'm gonna lock the gate on you and i'm gonna charge you three hundred dollars for me to come and open it up and the guy just got really, really, really nasty with me. So you never, I mean, you never know who's going to, you know, who you're going to meet out there and not that I'm going to shoot was, a guy, that but that was on public land too. Yeah. Yeah. It was on public land, but this outfitter, you know, had guys yeah. in there and, and wanted to protect yep. that. And, and, uh, you know, yeah. just, yeah, who knows, <laughs> man, that's so shady there. There, overall, I found that that there's some really great people in in the hunting community and in, in the archery community. Like, I'm not getting a bunch of trolly, nasty comments on videos. I'm getting a lot of people that are really helpful, yeah, and have really good input. But there's some dicks out there for <laughs> sure. Like, there are just some people like that outfitter man. They just sound like I, I don't. Yeah, yeah I, don't I don't get, get it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. So what? Um, as far as like your elk sightings, um. I guess it sounds like you got into some elk last year. What are you going to change up some of the spots that you're going to get into? Like, did you learn a little bit? Have you, have you gone back and yes. to the drawing board and look at Onyx maps and kind of say, ah, well, I, they, those elk were here and okay, this is why they're here. There's like some water, maybe some bedding. Like, what are you kind of looking at from that standpoint? Well, a lot of it, I think because, because I went in, I went early season, a lot of it had to do with the heat. Um, it, it t- to me and what, and, and researching everything that I've seen, they wanted to be up higher. So like these, the, the elk, when I started seeing them, I was within a couple hundred feet of tree line, you know, a couple hundred vertical feet of tree line. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was again, miles and miles to get back that far. And I was hoping that I was going to run into sign on the way up there, but literally everything that I'd seen, um, on the way up was so was just old you know it was it was you know you had, you had i'd see you know a little trail run off to the side and i'd go follow it for a little while and you know you'd see some you'd see some droppings and they'd you know totally dried out but when i finally got up to that meadow actually the the first morning that i, I got up you know before sun uh, before sun up i wanted to get up to that meadow and i was walking up the trail and about 40 yards off there's a cow moose stand or a cow a cow standing there like what are you you know just kind of staring <laughs> at me and then she kind of trots off and uh and, and so it was yeah it wasn't until i was i was 
within. So, so for me, I need to get to that elevation quicker because I think I spent too much time hunting below that. And then even when we were in Colorado, it was almost the exact same thing. You park at the road, you go in a couple of miles and we were seeing old sign. If as we got higher, there was one day where we got up, you know, significantly higher. And then we started seeing really, you know, fresh, fresh stuff, you know, where you could, you know, you could smell that the elk had, had been there really recently. Yeah. So I think, I think that was a, for me in, in early season, I know exactly where to go back where I started getting into elk and rather than stopping a half halfway there and then, and then moving, I'm just going to go straight there and then, you know, and then set up camp a little ways off and then start, uh, I'm going to try to get higher and glass. I didn't do a lot of glassing because I was still in fairly heavily, a uh, heavily timbered area, but mm-hmm. I want to get up into some of the, the more open areas. And there are some ponds that are kind of in the open areas. And I want to go look for trails and see if they're moving from some of those North face, heavy timbered areas up in, up into those ponds to go drink. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does that sound, does it sound like I'm on the right track? No, I, I I think so for sure. I mean, that's, I mean, kind of the rule of thumb, unless it's like a really, you know, extreme dry year where just everything's burn up. Traditionally, if you're not finding elk, you got to go higher. And it sounds like you were at a point last year where you were a little bit lower. So it was taking you longer, you know, on those day hunts to get to where the elk were. Now you're tweaking your setup you're going to camp a little closer. You're going to be able to get up higher quicker. So you're going to be up there, you know, sooner, you know, maybe at daylight or or slightly before. So you can kind of get more of a picture and, uh, yeah, I mean, you're doing all the right things. You're just, you're just moving and and tweaking the setup based on what you learned last year. Are you, are you going to be hunting August, uh, opening, uh, week again this year? And yep. Okay. Got it. Why'd you yeah. choose that week? That's, just because it's just the first week or? Yeah. And, and honestly, so I wanted to, my brother-in-law, he decided to move his wedding from May because of the coronavirus to September 12th, like a dumbass. So I've got, <laughs> oh man, come so, on. I know. So I've got to come back. Uh, I've got to, I've got to be back for, be back for that. But basically I wanted to go hunt. Um, I, Utah is the primary uh, as far as that, that solo journey again. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm only going back to Utah. This may be my last year. I like, I don't know that it's like some primo elk unit where I'm at. It's a, it's an over the counter tag, but I, I want to just go back to prove to myself that I can have, that I can improve and do things a different, yeah. better way. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's why Utah. And, and because I chose to go opening weekend last year, the re the thought process was, that the elk haven't been pushed around at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know that they're, they're, the odds are they're not going to be calling. I know that the odds are the bulls are going to be, you know, in, in bachelor groups. But that was kind of, I wanted to kind of see that side of it. And then I also know that the chance of, of really inclement weather is lower uh, for me earlier on. So I felt like early season that was going to be safer for me rather than going, you know, late September. Yeah. Where, where maybe there's a chance of, of, you know, something else happen where my, where my gear, no matter what I put on, I'm not going to be able to, <laughs> you know, stay dry or warm. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, sure. So that, that was the thought there. And then, um, I've got a New Mexico elk hunt. I uh, tried to draw down in New Mexico, did not draw, and then ended up just buying a landowner tag. Nice. So, yeah. That'll be a uh, sweet hunt. Doc, 
dude, I'm so excited. So I'm going with my buddy Kirk, who um, he's a great hunter, and I mean, just he's just uh, killed a ton of stuff. And this is a unit that he knows really well. He guides for people down there, so uh, he's going to guide for me. And I mean, he he's he's got a tag down there. He was able to he was able to draw this year. So hopefully that'll be, and that'll be one where, where he's basically like, we're going to have options. Like this isn't like see an elk, shoot an elk. We're going to have options. So that's the, that'll be, that'll be a, a that'll be a fun one this year. Well, what, yeah. And I, learning from somebody like that too is going to, you know, that's going to be, you're going to get five years of knowledge wrapped yeah. into a week of hunting right there with him. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that. And he was one of those people. I met him at uh, San Antonio Total Archery Challenge uh, nice. last year because literally I just rolled up, but I had the camera and I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to film. And we got out of the van at the same time. And I was like, hey, do you, it was him and his wife and they had, you know, he's a great shooter. He went in all sorts of tournaments down there. So he's got this, uh, uh, he's got his jersey on with his wife, you know, his wife, she's an incredible shooter as well. I was like, hey, can I shoot with you guys? And you know, we've, we've gone, uh, we, we went on the black buck hunt together. You know, we, we text or Facebook message almost, you know, a couple of times a week. Like he's made a bunch of gear recommendations and things that I've changed and tweaked. And especially with like bow set up and arrows set up and stuff like that. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's got a lot of knowledge. And, and so it's, it's, it's exactly what I wanted out of starting the YouTube channel was, was networking, meeting more people, getting to go on hunts that I don't know that I would have had the opportunity or even just the knowledge of, well, I didn't draw in this area and, and just learning all the different States and all the rules and the drawing stuff. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. But I feel like if I've got somebody who's like, Hey, you need to come up to Montana. Here's what we're doing. Here's when we're doing it. Here's what you need to sign up for. Let's do this. You know, that, that kind of thing. That's what, that's what I want more in my life going forward. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. starting the blog and the podcast here on my side, I mean, I, I, I don't claim to be an expert by any means and I, and I never will be, but the, just getting the chance to network and, and talk with people that really know their stuff and, and learn from them and being able to share that with others. I think that's just, that's super cool. And that's, that's why I do it. Sounds probably, you know, same reason for you. And, uh, yeah, exactly. you never know who you're going to meet and what you're going to learn. So that's fun. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And, and how, you know, like for me, I'm in my late thirties now, how many falls do I have? How many falls do I have left to be yeah. able to actually put a bag on, and, and, and tow to bow up, you know, thousands of feet in elevation and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm not, I'm no Cam Haynes. So how many falls do I have left? And I really want to make sure that I'm just taking advantage and living life on purpose a little bit more than I was, you know, in the first, probably in my twenties, I'd say. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think about that all the time. It's like, yeah, I, this life goes quick and you know, you, you won't regret taking the ex- the chances and, and doing some of these things and, and you have to do it now. Everyone says someday, you know, someday I'm going to go yeah. do that or someday I'm going to go on that elk hunt. But until you actually buckle down, make a goal and, and, and set it in place, it's something you got to do because life is short, you know, it's going to pass by yeah, and absolutely. You, you want those memories, you know, you don't want the regrets. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. When we were in Colorado, there was a guy, that was with us. And he said, this is his last year. You know, he just turned 50 and he was like, I'm not, I just don't, I just can't do it anymore. Like, it's just, it's too hard. And, uh, 
and 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 you could just see this uh this journey kind of coming to an end for him the entire time we were up there and it was and it was uh it was weird like it was feel hard it. it was yeah 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 and it was it was sad but it was but it was exciting because of what he'd accomplished in his life doing the hunts but it was um it had a huge impact on me and I don't know why, like it, it, it was something that, yeah, I think, I think about it lots when I'm, when I'm training and I'm getting tired, I think about that guy. And I just think about like, there will be a time when you can't do this anymore. So while you can do it, do it, you know, do it the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, because I'm a local here in Colorado, I essentially live in elk country. It's it's a little bit different for me than maybe the the out of stater that's coming out for a week or a ten day hunt. But um, with me, I found and I and I wrote an article about this in in Bugle Magazine uh, recently in the last issue. But uh, uh, basically, hunting elk in kind of overlooked places that are closer to town or closer to populated areas, like obviously, you know, everybody chases the backcountry experience. And, and I love that, uh, you know, I highly recommend backpack hunts, but it, I think people get hung up on that as deeper and deeper and further away is, is the only way. And I honestly, like I've had a lot of like good encounters, a lot of successes with getting into elk, like a quarter mile off the road, you know, or in certain areas that I can see town and houses uh on little tell tracks of where. BLM. <laughs> just tell me where right now tell me where i will send you coordinates <laughs> no. yeah no i i mean i just it's 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 amazing how um because the, i mean a lot of people just overlook that stuff and they you know there might sure. be a little pocket of blm that's that just does not scream elk country but if it's got some cover if it's kind of you got to cross a river or if it's a, you know a steep climb up for the first quarter mile but it's not that far away i mean there's there could be elk there and um and you can i mean i drive around and i'll watch them from the road or you know throw off some bugles at night or whatever just to kind of see where they're at and see if they answer so i mean there's just a lot of different ways to skin a cat but uh you know getting getting into elk really close uh to town or to certain areas can be done um which is good to have an open mind you know yeah for sure for sure and it's tough because you know and i know that there's a lot of people that that listen to your podcast that probably don't live where are you at in colorado by the way i'm in uh montrose it's southwest colorado yeah yeah, yeah. montrose cool yeah um yeah we were looking at land uh just out at about an hour west of you in montrose last year with my parents seeing if they wanted oh, really? to have mountain cabin yeah. so hey um yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen. They decided they're <laughs> going to move to Fort Worth, Texas. No offense to anybody in Fort Worth, but it's no Colorado. That's <laughs> yeah, kind of funny. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, at, as, an, as an out, you know, an, an eastern, an out east hunter, uh, I can tell you great places to whitetail hunt near me, just like you can tell me great places to elk hunt near you. Yeah. But when I go out there, especially because I don't necessarily have time to, to come out in you know may or june or july and come scout my area i really have to get in scout you know e-scout which is such a valuable amazing resource that has been that has been created oh man but then show up and then just hope that i hit elk within the first 
few days so that I can actually then set up, you know, and, and be able to actually hunt and execute. And it's, it's a, it's a daunting task. I remember, I remember in Colorado just thinking we need three more days. Like we need, we've done this, but we need three more days to be able to really do this the right way. Cause I feel like we just found elk and then the trip was over, you know? Yeah. That's another thing I recommend, you know, if you can do a two week or a 10 day, you know, I mean, if you do a Saturday to Saturday, I mean, you got to think, you know, if you're, if you're not taking off any time, you know, maybe on the Friday before or the Monday after, I mean, to, to do your drive starting, let's say on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. All right. Then you get to elk camp, you know, Sunday and realistically you're starting to hunt Monday, which you're already worn out the first couple of days. You're just trying to find elk. Um, yep. you kind of move through the week, you kind of get over the struggles and then you're, you get over that curve a little bit, get into a groove and then, yeah, it's time to go. Um, you know, yep. so any, anything that you can do to, to increase that, uh, time frame yeah, certainly helps out a lot because especially as a beginner, if you don't know the unit, an extra two days, three days could be the difference of going home with, with something in the truck for sure. Yeah. But I've also realized that had I said, cool, see, I'm lucky because I, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm a partner in a business that I can tell the guys, Hey, I'm going to go elk hunt for 14 days. And if I would have decided that I was going to backpack in and be in the woods for 14 days in Utah, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing. That's like just being like, Hey, I'm going to go run a hundred mile race. <laughs> you know, like that's not a thing you just go do. No. Like you, yeah. unless you're, you know, some kind of freak, like you got to work up to it. And I just didn't realize, I didn't realize the camping slash hiking aspect and how much a, a part of that. Uh, I, I just didn't realize how, how much of a part of it, it was, that was going to dominate so much, um, so much of the, tri- so much of the trip and the journey. I mean, I knew it was going to be a lot of time, but I didn't, I don't, I just think I underestimated how taxing it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Plus you, plus you're trying to film, plus you're archery hunting, plus you're a beginner, yeah. you know, don't know the area. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot yeah. of cars, you know, it's, you, you can quickly see why, you know, success rates for archery are, you know, 10% or, or less <laughs> on average. And that's, yeah. you know, there's, there's, yeah. it's not easy. I know that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wait, I have one more question I meant to ask you. Yeah. Um, boots. So I like, I've got my, my crispy boots, but last year as the, because the pack was heavier and I noticed it this year too, it's like the, the extra compression in my feet they start to fall, my toes start to fall asleep. And I literally didn't have feeling in my toes on my right foot for about two and a half months after the Utah trip. So I need something different and I want something that's a little bit, I think I want something that's a little bit stiffer. What do you use for, what do you use for boots and do you like them? Yeah. So I've, I've been debating on if I want to get new boots or not for this year, I'm probably behind the game. So I probably won't. Um, I actually bought in, in, and they're honestly not even that expensive. Um, I bought these, they're Mendel's Cabela's made, yeah. you know, uh, basically it, I bought them my first year elk hunting as like, ah, you know, it's something not too expensive, but the reviews were really good. I don't even know if they still make them, but honestly, I've been so happy with them. They, they do, they would be too heavy probably cause they are 400 gram, um, you know, oh, okay. insulate. Insulated, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, 
but honestly, they, they've been great for me and they've held up really well. I honestly, like it's tough to make recommendations on boots just because from the standpoint of, of just everybody's so different. But, um, the main thing being (laughs) making sure it's comfortable. And then honestly, for like an early season hunt where you're not going to be dealing with a lot of cold. I mean, uh, for me, it's, it's more just about ankle support, I think, than, uh, than a lot of other factors too. Like I'm not going to run like a low, a low heel or anything like that. I want it, I want it coming up a little bit just because I, I've, I've had the ankle rolls in the past and it's just not a good scenario. (laughs) So, um, yeah, sure. Sure. I don't know. I wish I could give you a good, good recommendation, but I'm not, I'm not probably not the best suited for boots. Yeah, but it's hard because, again, being in Tennessee, there's not a lot of places that carry, you know, a uh, even a, a moderately stiff mountain boot because that's not what we do out here. Like, yeah. why would they carry that stuff? Yeah. So then for me to, to understand, oh, I'm going to go buy this and, I, and I'm comfortable in the store, but how is it on my feet after I've done five miles with a 75-pound pack? You know, yeah. and nobody lets you test them out. And they're expensive. It's the other crappy part. Yeah. $300, 400 $500 for <laughs> a pair of boots that you might be like, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there is that company called Lathrop & Sons. I don't, have you heard of them? They make like... What is it? It's called uh, Lathrop & Sons. Uh, Lathrop? Okay, Lathrop. I think. I think that's what they're called. But essentially, they make okay. they make custom-fitted... Like, it's kind of a process. Like, they send you this kit, and then they basically you do a mold of your foot and then you send it back to them wow. and then they make you a custom like sole for you know to put inside your boot and i've heard that makes all the difference in the world because it's it's actually you know supporting your foot properly based on your individual shape so might be something well, to look into as well fast. i know it's it's like yeah that's cool that sounds interesting i think it's like although the, i think it's like a couple hundred bucks to do it but like you do it once, you do it right, you know, and then really it comes yeah, down to sure. what what style of boot you want for, because you know the comfort's going to be pretty much there, you know, once you get the, the boot broke in a little bit, but then you're just kind of figuring out what you want for support or, um, you know, the t- type of terrain or whether you're going to be hunting in and that sort of thing. So, yeah. I don't yeah, know. That's cool. That, that's, I've, I'll, I wrote that one down. That, that I'll look into that for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, sweet, Brandon. What, uh, um, so this summer you're, you're really just keeping consistent on shooting the bow. Uh, are you changing anything up on the, on the gear side for that as far as like any release or arrows or broadheads? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I've kind of been a mechanical guy for, um, for most of my whitetail hunting, uh, whitetail hunting endeavors just because they're easy to punch through. And I'm a, I'm a, I shoot a 70 pound. I, I picked the, uh, Matthews VRX for this year and VXR. And, uh, so I've got the Matthews VXR 31 and a half I'm shooting victory arrows. And I like the, I like the victory arrows. The, they, they seem real consistent. Like I've not had one so far out of the probably five or six dozen that I've had that hasn't spun the way it should. They do the spine alignment thing on it. So when you fletch them up, you just fletch it. So that spine alignment things on the top and, Yo. They're all just, I don't know, just super consistent. I really like them. Um, I'm going to, uh, I bought some iron wheel heads this year. And so I'm about to dig in since I just got done with all the bow reviews. I'm kind of switching over to arrows now. 
and I've ordered some 150 spine black eagle. I think they're the, I think it's the rampages, and I think I'm going to get those up to about 850 grains. Try those. Nice. And then I'm going to try. Yeah, kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and then I've got uh, some 250 spine uh, victories coming. I've got 300 spine. I've got 350 spine. So I'm literally just going to play with all sorts of different outserts and weights and combinations. And I'm just going to. It, it's such a it's such a debated. You know, like which one's better, fixed or mechanical? And uh, we they're both different tools. Yeah. Like it's just they're just different. The reason that we debate about it is because there's no answer. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so what what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do another really in-depth, um, you know, arrow slash broadhead thing. But it's just gonna be basically like, if you shoot an 850 grain arrow, here's how much it is going to drop from 20 yards back to 60 yards. Do you do you want that? Is that a thing that you want in your life? Yeah. But, uh, but I imagine I imagine I'm gonna end up uh, on the elk hunt with. Iron Will Solids, a victory arrow that's probably in the 500 grain range ish. Uh, I maybe a hair, maybe a hair higher. I would prefer to be no lower than that. I'll probably buy the 75 pound mods for the uh, for the VXR, and and shoot 75 pounds. And I'll probably three of the Iron Wills in my quiver, and then I'll probably carry two of either the Grim Reaper. Um, the Grim Reaper mechanical heads or the Sever uh, 1.5s. I think it's the 1.5s. Yeah. Or the two. Yeah, the 1.5s. The ferrule on the Sever is a like I just like the I like the I like the there's there's such little those little tabs that stick out in the front to rear deploy those blades on uh, on the sever i really like that and i haven't found another broadhead that that has such little material sticking out um i mean i guess schwacker kind of has those little those little tabs i I just don't know how i feel about that front deploy but 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 for elk you know i think i think i want that that you know less less steep cutting angle yeah that's the that's the plan for this year for elk and then for whitetail again with me shooting you know, I'll be shooting 300 feet per second with a relatively, you know, a moderately kind of midweight arrow. So I've never, I'll probably shoot the, uh, iron wheel wides at whitetail. Cause I'm generally 30 yards or under with my setup here. I I'm 10 minutes north of downtown Nashville. And like, kind of like you were talking about the, like, you know, quarter, a quarter of a mile to finding elk. I mean, I live in a neighborhood and, you know, I've taken a nice 10 point and a nice 12 point out here nice. off, off of my land. <laughs> I love so, it. So like they just, yeah, it's kind of cool. So, but, but it's tight, you know, it's a tight little, I, I hunt, I hunt a ridge that's a T where it kind of, every, if you want to pass, you kind of have to pass my stand. And so that's the, you that's got the, the tree here. So yeah, I'll probably <laughs> shoot, those, shoot those wides and then, uh, yeah, probably the grim, grim reapers. I bought some Q80 exoduses to try them out those seem to be something that people are liking or the wasps and then the maybe if i was going to go with another fixed heads i'd look at the magnus heads those seem to be doing, doing pretty well for people too yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah what are you uh what are you shooting you know this this year i am switching up to the sever broadhead uh i was shooting a fixed blade last year um which i like i just i don't know i just like the uh i i think the only 
I've just done a lot of research on the severs and, and really my focus, I'm not going to be hunting a ton of elk this year. I might not even archery hunt this year for elk. I'm really putting kind of all my eggs in the, uh, in the mule deer basket. And if I tag out early with that, then, you know, then I'll get after the elk with my bow. But, um, yeah, I'm going to be shooting the sever. I shoot black Eagle, uh, Spartans. I really like those. They're kind of like, yeah, I like Spartans too. Yeah, yeah, they're they're a good setup, and then um, yeah, I uh, I'm looking forward to 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 getting after it and and seeing how those severs do. But that's that's what I'm gonna switch to, and then uh, yeah, just you know, and then like I said, I'm picking up a bunch of stuff for my own archery, you know, tuning and and stuff. I'm just so tired of going to bow, sh- not necessarily tired of going to bow shops, but here in Montrose, there's, you know, I got to drive an hour, uh, you know, just to get to a shop. And then I don't know, I feel like I can, I can do once I learn everything, I can do a better job and get it more tuned into myself and, you know, paper tuned and, you know, get everything set up the way I want. And, uh, so I think that makes all the difference in the world, especially for elk hunting. And, uh, if you don't have a tuned arrow, if your, if your arrow is not <laughs> flying straight, I mean, when you're on a bigger animal, man, it's, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, you can get away with it 20 yard shot on a whitetail, you know, but an elk at 50, if your bow's not tuned, it's not, your arrow's not flying true. It's your, your penetration's not going to be there for sure. Yeah. And that's one of the tests that I'm going to do is basically see how far out I can get those iron wheels to shoot. And then take the bow, you know, take my rest over to the right an eighth of an inch and down an eighth of an inch and mm-hmm. just see, like, if, if you're shooting, what's more forgiving, you know, the sever head versus the, versus the iron wheel, uh, and, and, and see, you know, cause a lot of guys, man, I mean, even me starting out, I don't remember the, uh, you know, I, I, I went to Walmart, bought a bunch of the, uh, uh, G5 Montex for super cheap. And I bet I've killed more deer with those, but it wasn't because I liked them. It was just because I had them. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I remember, you know, standing at 20 yards and my, my, I could group my broadheads and then I'd back up to 30 yards. And for some reason that group would change from the right side of the target to the left side of the target. And what was happening was it was the bow was so out of tune. They were, they were all flying consistently, horribly the same way. And then they would jerk back the other way and I'm, you know, shooting, uh, you know, it was just, a, it was, it was just because I didn't, I didn't know. And as soon as you, you know, you, you put a fixed blade, a fixed blade on the front, if you don't have your setup, right. Which I, I think there's a lot of new guys that, that shoot, that just don't know. Like they just don't, they don't know that you can't just go stick a, stick a broad head on the front of the, of the, of the bow and then go sit in a deer stand. Like yeah. it's going <laughs> to not going to do this, not going to do what you want it to do. I know. Yeah. It's and, and like you said, there's so many so many different variables that can change things and that's part of the the journey or the process and and just the rabbit hole that we get into and I'm I'm excited to yep. just take the next you know I've been a big bow hunter forever I'm I, you know I, I enjoy the gear I love hunting but now that now that I'm actually going to be working on my own stuff I I can't wait to get into that whole process man but. <laughs> there there is nothing there is nothing like shooting the bow and then being like you know what I'm going to twist these cables up a little bit and exactly. see how that feels. And yep. then running in, pressing the bow and being back out there in five minutes Yeah, and, and, uh, and doing it. Uh, it's, it's been, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's, it, it's stupid. Like the, just the dollar amounts that these, like, 
I mean, I love Last Chance. I've got the Vainmaster Pro, and I've got one of their presses. But it's so expensive for what it is. You're like, all I'm doing is pushing, just pushing some stuff together, and it's $500? Like, how is this possible? But buy it once, never have to buy it again. It's something that I'm going to have my entire life as long as I'm a bow hunter. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm just going to have it. And, yeah, it's... I've, I'm, I'm on the same journey that you are where I've, I've just decided the same thing. I want the ability to work on my own stuff because I want that deeper understanding of how, you know, of how and why these things work. And then it'll just be cool to see technology continue to change, you know, over the next couple of decades with, uh, with bows. Yeah. I'm excited to see how that start, you know, how it continues to flow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. man. Well, cool, Brandon. This has been a lot of fun, man, and uh, I really appreciate it. And I definitely want to have you back on. I, I want to hear about some of your elk hunts and stuff from this past, this this upcoming fall, and then maybe even talk about some gear stuff too. I think we could, <laughs> I think we could do an episode on that at some point as well. We yeah, be be a lot of fun. But uh, really enjoy yeah, man, your absolutely. stuff. Absolutely no, and, and I appreciate the. Uh... I appreciate some of the feedback that you've given me on some of the recommendations and, uh, and I'm definitely gonna, uh, you know, especially like on the, on the day pack stuff that, 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 that kind of rings true to me. So I, I may, uh, may give that a shot and I'll, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we can just meet up after, uh, after elk season and dive back into everything. Hopefully it'll be me sending you some pictures of, <laughs> of, uh, of elk in the freezer. Yeah. That's please do. Please do. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. And, uh, yeah, before we jump off here, where can we go to find you on social media and YouTube? Yeah, so you can follow my Instagram at uh, Brandon McDonald underscore archery. And then if you just go to YouTube and you search Brandon McDonald, I'm the uh, I'm the guy that's not the black NFL player. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty obvious. I'm I'm the I'm the I'm the skinny white dude. <laughs> well, I love it, man. Well, keep up the good work with the with the videos and everything you're doing. Uh, definitely digging it, and uh, appreciate your time. And look forward to having you back on again. Absolutely, man. Thanks. Great to talk to you. All right, and there we go. Another episode in the books. Thanks again to Brandon for coming on the show. Really enjoyed it and looking forward to receiving some pictures of a successful elk hunt this fall, whether it's Utah or New Mexico or wherever you end up. Uh, best of luck to you, man. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm pulling for you. You got this. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're liking what you're hearing, make sure you hit that subscribe button. You can find Transition Wild on Apple, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever you listen to this at. Subscribing certainly helps spread the word and, and uh, you know, helps helps get some more information out to us beginners like myself and trying to figure it all out. So uh, much, much appreciated. If you get a chance, leave a leave a good review. Always like seeing that feedback and, and, and hearing from everybody. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you check out sportsmansnation.com. Lots of cool content. Add a new podcast. It seems like every month there's a, there's a new podcast popping up on there, covering all sorts of different topics and, and you know ranges from gear to whitetail to big game to cooking, you name it. Uh, pretty, pretty cool platform, uh, sportsmansnation.com. Go over to transitionwild.com, subscribe. I will send you the beginner elk hunting guide for free. Kind of walks you through, you know, learning Colorado, when to hunt, where to hunt, scouting, gear, 
you name it. A uh, lot of good, a lot of good resources there. So I encourage you to do that. All right, now that I've plugged enough things, uh, actually a couple more things still got to plug. <laughs> Thanks again to our partners, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. I appreciate you guys following along. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>